today. I, I don't intend on uh, going too much into into stories or illustration or things like that. I um, I just feel the the need to um, just try as best I can to explain um, what Jesus Christ is trying to say to us in his fifth uh, statement from the cross. We've been looking at the dying words of, of Jesus Christ, and I want to kind of um, bring us back in together for a moment and set the stage as to what has been happening at Calvary at Nine o'clock in the morning, one uh, Friday, about 2,000 years ago, nine o'clock in the morning, Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. And for the greater part of three hours, Jesus was mostly silent, save for three statements from the cross. Okay, from nine o'clock until 12 o'clock, Jesus said the first thing Jesus said was a prayer to the Father. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Sometime later, he said to a thief on the cross as they were mocking him and hurling insults at him, one of them realized, began to realize the error of his way and said, this other criminal, he's talking to him. He said, this man in the middle is getting what he does not deserve. We're getting what we deserve, but he's getting what he doesn't deserve. And so this thief on the cross looked at Jesus and said, if you are who you are, then remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then sometime after that, Jesus looked at his mother who was kneeling, sitting at the cross. And she said to him, her, in presenting John, the beloved apostle, to his mother, said, Dear woman, here's your son. And to John, he said, Here's your mother. Okay, three statements from the cross, 9 o'clock until 12 o'clock, amidst the, the, the insults and all of these things. And predominantly, Jesus is quiet, save for three powerful statements from the cross. At 12 o'clock at noon... Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the gospel writers tell us that from, uh, from at noon, darkness fell upon the earth for the next three hours. As darkness falls on the earth, what's happening is that all of hell is being unleashed upon Jesus Messiah, upon Jesus our Savior. So from 12 o'clock until 3 o'clock, it's darkness. And again, for the greater part of three more hours, Jesus is quiet in his suffering. And then if you take the gospel accounts together, there are four rapid-fire statements in just one right after the other that Jesus says. The first thing he says as he's, as he's enduring all of the, the darkness of, of hell on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As a testament to the reality of darkness falling, the Father cannot stand the light. The light cannot stand darkness. The Father turns his face away, and Jesus is utterly forsaken on the cross. The next thing he says soon after that, we're going to talk about today. He says, I'm thirsty. He gets enough water so he can make his last two statements. He says, it is finished. And then into your hands, I commit my spirit. Okay, so that's what's happening from 9 o'clock until about 3 o'clock uh, on the afternoon one, that dark Friday. And as we look into that fifth statement, I'm thirsty, I want to talk a little bit. Actually, I want to spend all of today talking about what that means. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. And I know on the surface level, we know what he's talking about. He's thirsty. But I want to break that down a little bit in order to help us understand a little bit more what it cost for Jesus Christ to die, for our sin to be nailed upon the cross with our Savior, Jesus Christ, in understanding, by understanding what he means when he says, I am thirsty. This is John chapter 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, 
and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is God's word. Next week, we're going to look at what it means when he says it is finished. But what does it mean when he says, I'm thirsty? If Jesus is trying to convince the world that he is the son of God, that he is God incarnate, then it would be better for him not to have said, I'm thirsty. Because then people would be like, oh, you know what? Uh, What kind of a God gets thirsty? And if he's really all that, then why is he complaining? Why is he talking about, because this is the only one of the seven statements in the cross where Jesus talks about his own personal suffering, his own discomfort. Why does Jesus say, I'm thirsty? People look at this and they say, he shouldn't have said anything. It sounds like he's complaining and he's just, he should have just remained quiet if he's really trying to prove to the world that he is God. But I think it's a lot deeper than that. As we look into the cry of Jesus, I'm thirsty, this whimper from the cross, I'm thirsty. What does he mean? Two things, and I'm going to be simple and be brief today. But the first thing it means is that this was a cry of suffering. One of the first things that I learned as a parent, as a new parent three and a half years ago, is that there um, is that our baby cries a lot. And one of the second things I realized was that there are different types of cries. Okay, there's a cry when, when our daughter is tired and she just needs sleep. There's a cry that she cries when she just wants to be with her mother, right? When daddy's holding her and, and daddy's not good enough, and so she wants to be with her mom, and she wants to be held by the one she loves. There's that kind of a cry. There's a cry for a hunger when she's hungry or she's thirsty, and there's a cry when she's uncomfortable because her diaper is wet, because her diaper has been soiled. There are different types of cries, and as we get older, we begin to realize that there are different types of cries also. When... Um, We have a a new child. There's a cry that says, you know what? I'm being neglected. My brother is getting all the attention, so I need attention. There's that kind of a cry. There's a kind of cry that says, you know what? I'm guilty of doing something bad, and if I cry, maybe I can get out of this. There's that kind of a cry. There are lots of different kinds of cries. When Jesus Christ on the cross cries out, I am thirsty, it's not a cry for attention. Like, I want people to notice me. I want people to recognize me. It's not a cry that I just want to be loved or I just want someone to show me sympathy. It's not a cry of of jealousy. Why are you guys looking at the other criminals? Look at me. It's not a cry of simple discomfort. When I get thirsty and I'm eating a meal, I can't eat the meal unless my cup has been filled because I know that if I keep on eating, at some point my mouth is going to get dry and I'm going to need a drink. If I'm thirsty, I get completely incapacitated. I feel like I'm going to die and I say I'm thirsty. When I need a refill, I'm not really going to die. But here at the cross, when Jesus says, I'm thirsty, in every, with, with every fiber of his being, this is a cry of suffering, unlike any suffering we've ever experienced before. Because we, we all know what it's like to need water. Have you ever been dehydrated before? When you're dehydrated, you, you, your, your head starts spinning. You, you start getting a little bit dizzy. If you haven't had enough water, sometimes when I get a headache, um, there are some people who are like, you know, they, they're in the medical field. And the first thing they always say is, have you had enough water? Our bodies are made of, depending on who you ask, up from 60 to, to, to 80% water. Max Lucato says we're walking water balloons. This is what he says. We're walking water balloons, and for good reason. Because when we don't have water, and we can't think clearly, that's why you need to drink a lot before you take a test, if you're taking a test. Again, your head starts hurting, you get dizzy. You start getting cramps if you play sports and, and you don't have enough water in you. If you don't have water in you, you can't cry because tears come from the water that's within you. If you're dehydrated, you can't cry. 
If you're dehydrated, you don't have enough water, you can't sweat. And sweat is the cooling mechanism in our bodies. If we don't have enough water, then we will die of heat. And we all know, well, maybe, maybe you don't know, but you've experienced at some point what it means to be thirsty and to be dehydrated and the discomfort that comes with it. Think back to what Jesus has experienced. For over 12 hours, the last supper, that was the last time he drank anything. And over the period of the next 12 or or 15 or 18 hours, Jesus has been going through this whirlwind. He's been arrested. He's been betrayed. He's been mocked. He's been flogged. They took a whip. It wasn't just a whip. You know, know, like people roll up towels and and they like wet them and then they do things like that. That's not what happened to Jesus. They took a whip and it was laced with animal bones, sharp bones, at the equivalent of glass attached to it. And they would whip him and these things would dig into his skin and they would pull it back out. And every time they pulled it out, skin would peel off from uh, with the shards of, of, of animal bone. He's being whipped like this across his back, losing all of this blood. A robe is placed on him and then they rip the robe off of him, which, which scarred at the time. They peel it off his back, open wounds again. He's been, he's been flogged. He's been laughed at. He's been spit at. He's been insulted. He's been punched. He's been pushed. He's been punished. He's been nailed to a cross. And when he's nailed to the cross, after hours without, without water, without liquid, dehydration begins to set in. And the first thing that begins to happen when you're dehydrated is that fever begins to rack your body, just begins to ravage your body. Your head begins to throb with uncontrollable pain. This is what Jesus is feeling as he's hanging on the cross. And he says, I'm thirsty. Fever sets in. His head is beginning to pound. The nerves in his body just beginning to shake and to vibrate with every part of him. Nausea is beginning to set in. He's beginning to get dizzy. He's beginning to to not be able to to hold himself up. And with every breath that he takes, as he pushes himself up from, uh, from, from the nails that are piercing him, with every time he pushes himself up, the holes within his, uh, the nails, the holes within his, his, his wrists and his feet begin to increase, begin to grow. The holes are getting bigger and bigger. And blood begins to flow out of him. And each time blood flows out, more and more dehydration begins to occur. His side begins to cramp. His, his eye sockets begin to get dry. His tongue begins to to stick to the roof of his mouth, gets swollen to the point where he can barely talk. His throat becomes parched and begins to feel like sandpaper. This is what Jesus means when he says, I'm thirsty. It's not just like, hey, can you give me like Marco Rubio? Did you see his presidential uh, um, address when he responds to the State of the Union? And he took this this famous gulp of water. It's not what Jesus is talking about. I'm just a little bit discomforted. Every part of him is being racked with physical pain. It's a cry of suffering. This is what Jesus means when he says, I'm thirsty. It is the most universal human experience. And he's saying at the very essence, I know what it's like to be a human being. But I want to take this one step further and say that when Jesus says, I'm thirsty, the deepest suffering and the deepest pain he's talking about is not primarily a physical kind of suffering. You see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke never mention this statement, I'm thirsty. In fact, it never talks about Jesus in any of his discourses talking about this idea of thirst. But three times in the Gospel of John, okay, John talks about Jesus, records Jesus talking about thirst. What is he talking about? 
In John chapter 4, Jesus is in Galilee, and he's trying to go to Judea. Okay, you guys know this. Galilee's in the north, Judea's in the south. And to get there, there's this great large portion called Samaria. And most people, most Jews, even though it's a direct route through Samaria, would always avoid Samaria going around it in order to get to Judea because they hated the Samaritan people. But if you read carefully in John chapter 4, it says, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why does he have to go through Samaria? Because there's a woman there at a well who is deeply thirsty, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. And Jesus has to go through Samaria, not out of location, but because of love, okay? So he's going through Samaria, and he sits down at a well, and this woman comes. No one else is drawing water because it's the heat of the day, and the only person to come out there is the person who doesn't want to socialize with anybody else. So here comes this woman. She's slept around with four different men. Four different men were her husband. The fifth one she's with now, not even married to him. And Jesus gets thirsty, and he asks her for a drink of water. And he begins to engage her in dialogue. He's baiting and fishing, baiting and fishing, until finally he gets her to confess that she's seeking to quench the uh, the spiritual thirst within her body, within her soul, by giving her heart to other men. And finally she confesses that I've been looking to quench the deepest thirst in my body, in my soul, through sexual pleasure, through sexual encounter. And what it opens up to us is this reality that all of us have a thirsting in our soul that we're all looking to quench somehow and in some way. Some of us are looking to quench that longing by having a lot of money and by getting people to look at us and say, you know what, if I've got a lot of money, then people are going to look at us and they're going to praise us and we're going to have position and status and wealth. Others of, of us are looking to find it in the arms of love in the arms of romance, others looking to find it in all these different kinds of ways. But Jesus looks at her and says, you know what? I've got living water that if you get what I've got, then you will never thirst again for the rest of your life. And she says, give me what you have. In John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. And he says, look, I am the bread of life. If anyone comes to me, he will never be hungry again. And if you come to me, you will never be thirsty ever, ever, ever again. John chapter 7, it's the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's this great feast that the people of God went to. It was a week-long celebration of the exodus out of Egypt, of how God led them in their wilderness wanderings. And for seven days, just like the wilderness people of God, they, they, they hung out in tents, in tabernacles. They would pitch tents, and they would have these ceremonies. And on the last and greatest day of the feast, The priest would pour out water as a sign that in the desert, through a rock that was struck, water poured out. The priest would take a gold bowl of water and he would pour it out. And in John chapter 7, as the priest is pouring out this water, Jesus Christ stands up and in a loud voice, it says, he shouts. And he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For out of me will come streams of living water. And you will never thirst again. And everyone in Israel looks at him and they're like, who is this guy? And from there they begin to plot his death. Think, how could he speak in such a way? The, the thirst that Jesus talks about in John's gospel is not merely a physical longing. It is a spiritual longing that every 
single one of us were born into this world with. In the same way that physical thirst is a universal longing that unites all of humanity, that lets us know in the deepest part, if you're human, you will thirst. If you thirst and you're human, in the same way he's saying each of us have a spiritual longing. And if you're a human, then you have a spiritual longing. And we're looking to satisfy that thirst in some way and with something in this life. And Jesus stands up and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him put his faith in me because out of me will come streams of living water and you will have flowing out of you streams of living water so that you will be quenched and you'll be a thirst quencher for other people who are thirsty as well. So when Jesus Christ hangs on the cross, this is what he's talking about. Why is he talking about this? How can it be, how can it be that the one who promised to quench your thirst says himself, I'm thirsty. How can it be that the one who says, come to me and I will quench your thirst forever can stand here and say, you know what? I'm thirsty, dying of the same thirst that you have. How could that be? I don't know if you remember the the story of Muhammad Ali when he was the greatest boxer on earth. During his reign of terror, he was on an airplane one day and the announcement came on and said, all passengers fasten your seatbelts, we're about to take off. And he wouldn't put his seatbelt on. So the flight attendant came through and she said, sir, you need to put on your seatbelt. She didn't know who he was. said, sir, you need to put on your seatbelt. And he looked at her and he said, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And she looked back at him and said, yeah, Superman doesn't need a plane either. (laughs) They put on his seatbelt. It's like Superman saying to an airline pilot, hey, can I get a ride with you? It's like Donald Trump, who's got millions and billions of dollars asking Daniel Cheng, hey, can I, can I borrow a dollar? I'm broke. So here's Jesus who promises that out of me will come living water so that you will never thirst again. Hanging crucified on a cross, saying, I'm thirsty. How could that be? Because of what he said right before this. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because every time John talks about thirst, whenever the psalmist talk about thirst, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. What is he longing for? What is the thirst for? It's not for water. It's a longing for God himself. And when Jesus says your thirst will be quenched through me, it's saying your thirst can only be quenched by having a relationship with God Almighty. That's the only thing that will satisfy the longings of your heart. That's why you are made not to drink from, from puddles of, of mud that won't satisfy you, not to drink from puddles of salt water that will satisfy you for a moment and leave you even more thirsty. The only thing that can satisfy is living water that comes from God himself. And Jesus is saying, I'm the only way to get to God. And at the cross, when darkness fell at the, what they call the ninth hour at, at noon, when darkness fell, Jesus Christ lost his fellowship with God. He lost the only thing that could satisfy his soul's longing. And that's why he cries out at the cross, I'm thirsty, because he's lost his connection, his union with God. To the point where he cannot even call him father anymore. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a cry of deepest suffering. If there ever was any kind of suffering, it is this of a man who is parched, from being beaten and dehydrated completely physically, but being completely dehydrated spiritually as well. He's lost the only connection that could satisfy the longing of his soul. 
And so he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And with his very next breath, he says, I thirst. It's a cry of suffering. It's a universal cry that every single one of us will cry when we lost our union with God. We haven't had that union with God. That's the first thing that this cry is. The second thing that this cry is, it is a cry then of substitution. If Jesus Christ is God, could he not have drunk from any of the thousands of oceans that he had created, from the thousands of rivers and lakes that he had created, from the thousands of springs that he had created? Again, at the deepest level, at the deepest level, what Jesus Christ is saying, because we understand this at face value, I'm thirsty. It is the universal longing of the human, not only soul, but the human body. When Jesus says, I'm thirsty, what is he saying? The Gospel of John, people have said, it is a, it is a, a pond shallow enough for a baby to wade in, but it is deep enough for an elephant to swim in. Okay, what we did when we looked at the words, I'm thirsty, the, 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 the surface level, right? I'm thirsty, is this physical longing that all of us can understand. We went deeper into it to understand this is the depth with which the elephants can, can swim in, talking about the spiritual longing, the separation from God. But if you take it at face value, take it for what he says, I'm thirsty. What Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to communicate to all of humanity that this very basic human longing for water, for our thirst to be quenched, is what Jesus Christ, fully God, yet fully man also encountered, also experienced, also went through. This is what Jesus is trying to say. He says, if ever there was a human being to suffer, it's not just you, but it's me as well. Jesus is trying to unite the experience of all mankind, all humanity, with his experience on the cross as well, to let you know that in your moment of greatest pain and suffering, And I understand. I'm not just God up there with my pie in the sky, but I'm God on the earth who understands at your deepest level what you're going through as you suffer. Has your body been racked with pain? Jesus says, so has mine. Has your soul ever been so dry? You ever felt so far from God? You felt like nobody could ever understand? Says, I understand. Have you, felt, have you ever felt so guilty and so ashamed of your sin that you felt like you couldn't look at God, that God turned away from you? He says, so have I. Have you ever felt betrayed by the ones you thought were the closest to you, ever felt like the ones would never leave you, never betray you, have betrayed you? And so too have I experienced that same kind of suffering. At the very basic level, Jesus Christ is identifying with you. Have you been unjustly accused of doing something wrong that you didn't do? And when you tried to defend yourself, people kept on saying, you know what? You're lying. You're guilty as charged. Jesus says, so have I. I experience that. I know what you're talking. I know what you're feeling. Because in our suffering, our greatest longing is not just for someone who can help us in that longing. It's someone that can understand us and they can take us to a place of help. That's what we long for. We don't just want a handout. We want somebody who's going to enter in and and cry and weep with us in our suffering. And Jesus does that. (coughs) 
when we, you know, when, when we had just Manny, you know, yesterday Manny had this, um, we we're playing around outside, we we're all eating dinner together, and, and she was jumping around laughing and giggling, and she jumped off a couple stairs, and she fell, and she scraped her knees up, and for about 45 minutes, she was inconsolably crying. And she was like, ah, you know, I don't know if it was, I mean, there was, it broke skin, and so there was some blood, but um, I don't know if it was 45 minutes worth of crying that bad, if it was just she was tired or whatnot, but she was howling as if she was like, I don't know, some kind of a werewolf or something, but she was just like going crazy. And I remember times where she would cry when she was younger, and we didn't, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I never knew, I never had, uh, you know, never uh, was that close with a, a little girl before, and so... Um, there would be times where she was crying. She'd be crying, and nothing I would do, I would try and hold her, and she would push me away. So the only thing that I could think of to do, <laughs> this is kind of silly, but I would sit there and sit next to her, and I would pretend like I was crying also. And all of a sudden, she would stop, and she'd just stare at me. And then in between fake crying, I would look at her, and then I would smile at her. And she would be fighting to try and, stop a smile and she say stop dad stop papa stop daddy stop daddy and i say why she stop stop looking at me and all of a sudden she would feel better again i say nanny why why do you want me to stop because in her mind she knows that daddies don't cry but when daddy does cry it captures her attention we all know that gods don't cry what other god do you know of that cries of what religion does God cry? Does God suffer? Does God identify with the pain and the suffering of the world? But when on a cross, our God suffers and he cries, he says, I'm thirsty just like you. That we have to take notice of a God who weeps with us. A God who suffers the same way that we suffer. A God who moves into our neighborhood in order that he might suffer with us. And Jesus cries the same tears that we cry. You know, some of us say, I, how can Jesus understand the temptations that I face? How can he understand the lust? How can he understand the, the, the longings that I have? How can he understand the desires to, to do whatever it is that, that we, we think about doing? How, how can he understand that? In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis has this great part where he says, you know what? Only the one who has not given in fully understands the power of it. And then he talks about, how do you know? You don't know the power of a German army because you submit to them. You only know how powerful that German army is when you fight with all you have against them and they overcome you. Then you can say the German army really is that strong. How do you know how strong the wind is? Not by laying down and let the wind blow over you. He says, only when you stand up and fight against the wind do you realize how powerful that wind is. He says, if you give in to your temptation after five minutes, you have no idea how strong that temptation is compared to the person who's fought against that temptation for 60 minutes of it. Then you realize how strong that is. He says, Jesus Christ, the only person who never gave in to sin, he's the only one who knows how strong temptation really is. 
We think we know because we've given into it, because we submitted to it. He says, you have no idea. The only human being to ever experience temptation the way that you and I never could is Jesus. Yeah, he understands what you go through. Yes, he understands your temptation. He understands it in a way that you never could experience it. Because all of hell was pushing against him. All the forces of evil were pushing against him, saying, uh, give in to sin. Give in to temptation. Give in because if Jesus Christ gives in to temptation, then the rest of the world is forever doomed. We will never know what it's like to have our thirst quenched. But because Jesus Christ withstood every force, every ounce of pushback that Satan and his forces and his minions of evil had, he understands what it means to endure temptation. And he can enter into our suffering in a way that no other human being can. That he weeps with us, which is why Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. Instead, we have one who is able to sympathize. Therefore, he stands before the right hand of God and he intercedes and he pleads on our behalf with a suffering and with an, with an ability to understand and identify in a way that nobody else could ever understand us. This is what it means when Jesus says, I'm thirsty. But before he says that, verse 28 says, later knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. John adds this little phrase, so that scripture would be fulfilled. Why? You, I, I think you saw this last week as Pastor Albert took you to, to Psalm 22. But if you look in Psalm 22, just hear me say it. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. All of these things, Psalm 22, being fulfilled at the cross that Jesus is crying out to the Father. Then Psalm 69, listen just a little bit more clearly. Verse Uh, Verse 3, I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Verse 21, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. All of these prophecies being fulfilled. Written a thousand years before in a culture that had no idea what crucifixion was. It was prophesied because every one of the 150 psalms can either be sung by Christ or sung of Christ. And John says these prophecies are being fulfilled in order to fulfill what Scripture had said. Jesus says, I am thirsty. Why does he do that? In fact, from John 17 to John 19, the beginning of this account, you see all of these prophecies being fulfilled. His bones were not broken. His legs were not broken. His body Right? Jesus sold for 30 pieces of silver. All of these things. Right? He, he, the, the spear went through his side. Blood and water falling out. All of these things are prophecies that were spoken. Why? Because Jesus wants to make it crystal clear on the last moments of his life to let everybody who knew Scripture know that I am the one who is the fulfillment of prophecy. That I am the one 
that all of the Old Testament was talking about, that I am the one that all the prophets were looking for. I'm the one that every Israelite pinned their hopes on. And even though you're nailing me to a cross, I am the one that you've been waiting for. It's me. And Jesus is saying, um, he's saying all of these things as a way of saying, I am the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. And with every single one, he's building blocks upon which we can put our faith. Why? Because at the end of it all, he's saying, if I'm the one who fulfilled all the scriptures of the Old Testament, then I'm also the one who's able to fulfill what I said. That if you put your faith in me, then out of, out of your heart will come streams of living water. He's saying, look, if you could see that I'm the one that all of the Old Testament was pointing to, then you'll also see that I'm worthy of putting your faith in for your soul to be satisfied. It's me, and it's me alone. But why then do we say that this was a substitutionary cry? Because as they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, Exodus chapter 17 says, God told Moses to speak to the rock, at one point, at another point, he said, hit the rock, right? strike the rock, and water will come flowing out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Starting in verse 3, they all, the Israelites, ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. In the Old Testament, the rock was struck so that living water, water from God would flow so that the people of God would have their thirst quenched. Because when Jesus stands up on that last and greatest day commemorating that event of the rock being struck, Jesus says, I am the living water. And when, when Paul says that rock was Christ, Jesus is saying at the cross, I'm being struck down. I'm being struck down in order for living water to flow as the spear pierced the side of Jesus and water flowed out. Jesus was saying, the only way that you could drink of living water is if I, the rock, gets crushed. The only way that you could drink from streams of living water is if I die. The only way I could die is if I'm human. The only way I could be human is if I thirst. Jesus Christ is saying, the only reason he thirsts. It's a demonstration of his humanity. Because only in becoming human could he do the only thing, the one thing that was necessary in order for us to get to God. That was to die, to be the bridge to life. See, Jesus Christ, the one who promised living water, became thirsty in order to quench our thirst. He became thirsty in our place so that we would never thirst again. He became thirsty so that we could have a relationship with God, so that through that relationship, streams of living water would flow, the kind that would forever satisfy, so that we would never have to drink from any other stream again. This is what he means when he says, I'm thirsty. Pray together. Before we pray anything else, instead of praying anything else, I want to invite us to just come 
And just imagine yourself kneeling before the cross. Hearing Jesus say, I'm thirsty. And just thinking again, once again, with fresh eyes, I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy. And I'm broken inside. Once again, I thank you. Once again, I pour out my life. And then to think again, I'll never know. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. It wasn't just thorns on your head. It wasn't just nails. It was a suffering unlike any kind of suffering known to humanity. The kind of suffering that only Jesus Christ could know. The one who knew intimacy with the Father from eternity past. Losing every connection with the Father. Every fiber of his physical being being wretched and broken and torn apart with searing pain so that we would never thirst again. And he says from the cross, I'm thirsty. So are you. Drink from me. Stop seeking your satisfaction in girls, in boys, in relationships, in status, in money, in possessions, in popularity, in comparison with other people. Stop seeking living water from those things that don't satisfy. Stop looking for it in those games that you play, in the websites that you see, in the pornographic images, in those things that you waste your time with. Stop seeking it in those things. Find your all in all in me. For if you do, living water will flow into you and then you'll become a channel of living water for the sake of others to drink from. Let's take a minute or two just to pray to the living water, Jesus Christ, who promises that we'll thirst no more if we come to him. Let's pray together for a minute or two. Maybe a prayer of gratitude. Maybe you just want to sit and envision. Maybe a prayer of confession. Maybe a prayer of turning away of repentance. Let's just spend a minute or two allowing the, the thirst in our soul to be quenched by the living water that flows from the pierced body of Jesus Christ. Let's pray for a couple moments. Father in heaven, how much it must have pained you to see the suffering in the soul and the body of your one and only Son. 
and to not lift a finger to help him. In order that many sinful men and women could become sons and daughters of yours. Father, what you give to us is far greater and far more satisfying than anything that this world can give to us. The best that this world can give is momentary satisfaction. And at the end of it all, to stay thirsty, my friends, keep drinking from this well that will not satisfy. Because our world promises a thirst quencher that will never give us what our souls deeply desire and need. But you can, and you do. Father, for those who've had our thirst quenched in you, do it again, continually. May we go back to that spring of living water. And then may we go and run, offering living water to thirsty, weary pilgrims on the journey. For those of us who have not yet drunk from the spring of eternal living water and joy, pray that you would help us to turn away from lesser, dirty fountains and cisterns and wells in order that we might turn to you. Challenge us, convict us, satisfy us like only you can. Thank you so much. We need you. We need you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.